Welcome to the Future of Internal Communication podcast. I'm Jen Sproul, CEO of the Institute of Internal Communication. Our organizations face an onslaught of challenges across the social, economic, political, and environmental spectrum. The systems we've used to support 21st century ways of life are weakening. The way we work requires dramatic transformation in response to these challenges. Internal communication is a crucial function that helps organizations achieve lasting change. This podcast explores the intersection between internal communication and the future of work. Every conversation is curated to help internal communicators better understand the risks and leverage opportunity. We really hope you enjoy listening. Hi, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Future of Internal Communication podcast. I'm your co-host Kat Barnard and I'm joined by Jen Sproul and Dominic Waters. Today we have a very special guest joining us. Celine Schillinger is an award-winning French entrepreneur, change practitioner and consultant. She's over 30 years of field experience working with both small and global organisations across several continents and various different working cultures She's a solid track record on business transformation, which informs her vision of change, engagement and leadership. 2022 saw Celine release a book called Dare to Unlead, which presents her vision for high performing organisations that are adaptive and resilient in the face of external market dynamics. I have to say, I read your book. I was enthralled. There was so much in there, Celine. So welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. And rather than try and describe to our listeners what Dare to Unlead is about, I wondered if I could kick off by asking you to share with us a little bit about what it addresses, um, and actually what led you to write it. Mm. Thank you so much, Kat. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. What led me write this book was um, a quest for learning and for, for understanding why what I had been doing in the corporate world that was a little bit different from what this corporate world was used to why this community engagement thing, this new approach to solving problems, to engaging people across silos, etc., why all this worked. And it worked not just once, but many times. It worked not only for one specific problem, but for many uh, different issues, totally unrelated from one another. And I thought there's something in uh, the way relationships happen in the the way that I have understood relationships to be more productive, more effective, more efficient, there's something that needs to be explored and understood better. And so that was really this quest, this exploration, uh, which led me into a, a, a really uh, almost like a PhD. <laughs> it was my, my PhD uh, many years after I completed my studies, but it was really uh, understanding and explaining and weaving all the threads of um, a long you know, career in the corporate world across various continents, as you mentioned. 
and understanding from painting the overall landscape what dynamics might be helpful for others in their respective, in their own uh, workplaces and work environment. When I read your book, and I think I said to you after I'd finished it, to me, and I read a lot of literature on the topic of work and the future of work, I was so enthralled. It felt like there were several books in one book because you really compellingly addressed the topics of transformation and employee engagement and internal communication using not simply the digital tools and platforms that we have available to us in the 21st century, but also human-to-human connective practices. There was such a rich stream of really tightly brought together content and analysis of how to effect change to get things done. And actually, another part, just thinking out loud, I was really enthralled by your efforts in leading employee activists. There was a big component of the book where you had sought to, you described the effort that you took to address gender equality in one of the organisations and how you created kind of a grassroots internal movement within that very big, very traditionally structured organisation to yield really compelling results that I felt as I was reading it were successful for the people driving and leading that change, but not brilliantly received by the conventional leaders, it seemed. Yeah, so you delivered in terms of sentiment and heart, but perhaps there was a challenge there in terms of you got given the green light to proceed to effect this change. And when the change actually happened, I think it seemed like it was more than some of the leaders had bargained for, which, which also presents a challenge in today's industry, I'd imagine. Yes, absolutely. There's many things in your question, Kat, but I think probably the main the main idea I'd like to emphasize here is that people are done with being treated as children in the workplace. We are done with that. If it has worked in the past, it no longer works today. And we can regret it. We can, yes, it was comfortable and, and, and neat and, uh, you know, convenient to uh, be able to address the crowd or the employees uh, in an organization as kids who would do what they were asked to do. But now it doesn't work anymore. The society has changed, values are changed, and um, we just don't want what our parents wanted or even what we wanted ourselves at the beginning of our career. This is something that will not change, that will even, you know, (laughs) get uh, uh, probably even uh, wilder in the future. So we just need to adapt. And there are other ways, in my opinion, by which we can form collectives and we can have like diverse groups of people deliver efficiently great work together. 
But this doesn't rely on the same old tools as discipline or hierarchy or reward and punishment or structure or governance, all those things. I don't, you know, throw them uh, away completely at all, but I think they need to be sharply revisited and enhanced with many other things. For example, the learning we now have from social movements. I mean, this is a science, you know, there's uh, like tons of researchers working on social movements. How do social movements aggregate large number of people without an HR department, a comms department, a governance model, a blah, and et cetera, et cetera. So not all activist movements are successful, obviously, but those who are and many achieve nevertheless uh, lots of change in a rapid kind of setting, you know, in a fast moment with, again, large number of people. This is one of the things I'm really interested in. Uh, another, as you mentioned, is the um, availability of digital tools and the immense possibilities of connection that go beyond the easiness of communication. I believe some social tools have the possibility to radically transform the interactions we have, you know, the, the, and this um, unequal, you know, unbalanced type of, of relationship we're used to in the workplace, which is filled with domination and submission relationships. I think this needs to evolve and it can evolve thanks to the use of digital tools and other elements I describe in the book. But of course, it is uncomfortable for some people, not just those sitting at the top who, you know, find it great to have uh, people uh, uh, looking at them for advice and for, for everything and, baby, and you know, um, being at the top of, a, of an organization bears a number of privileges, which can be really, really nice to live. But other people also find it very comfortable to be told what to do. Uh, so it's it's this system which needs to ev we that's why we we need to evolve altogether. That's why it's uh, unrealistic, in my opinion, to just push, push, push. You know, push for change, uh, rebel, and um, replace an old system with a new system. I think this only. I mean, this sort of um, it can be perceived as ag aggressive, or in any case, this only raise or increases resistance. And um, I have learned the hard way myself <laughs> that um, if you advocate for collaboration and co-creation, you need to apply this to yourself. <laughs> and so I have learned, I, I'm not you know, very good at this still. I, I think it's a, a lifetime work, but I, I have learned to open up at least to the need to opening up to collaboration, even with people I don't really like or people who are not like me or who don't think like me. And it's an effort, but it's an effort that starts with oneself, which I think is a good starting point at least. Yeah? Because uh, claiming that people must change, companies must change, leadership must change, etc. It's always you know, about putting the blame on others on the system or on, you know, those, you know, nasty other people. And I, I think this is not transformative. 
This this is only this only maintains a confrontational and divided world, which will not lead us to finding solutions to our big problems. We need this engagement, and that's why also I wrote about the workplace in a sort of societal perspective, because I think a lot of our societal problems or the problems we face, you know, in politics or in our daily lives, stem from the world of work. A lot of them. And the world of work is also, it, it also has the enormous opportunity to bring together people who are very different. They are very different. They would maybe not, you know, mingle or be friends or, but however, they work for the same employer, which is a wonderful opportunity to, you know, create connections, make people, you know, see, recognize each other as humans, not just as, you know, political enemies or the devil you know <laughs> gosh that's so fascinating Celine to hear you that and um like you said it does sound like you've done quite a few PhDs with that things that you talked about as well and it's just fascinating particularly obviously that phrase that you just said that people are done being treated like children and a lot of what you describe sounds so systemic of how we view what work is and how we view these systems that we have built over decades for how things get done and how we make businesses success. So that's, it's quite systemic to think about that, that grassroots kind of perspective on what work is and how we should communicate and how we should treat each other and how we should create the right or perhaps not unstructured ways of driving forward organizations. And you talked obviously a lot about human, talked about that digital, you've talked about engagement and what we can learn, particularly from, from activists. So, and we know in terms of where we're at right now, we're in this weird place of shifting landscapes when we've got not one foot in one camp, nor one foot in the other camp. We're trying to straddle these both sides where we want to be human and less efficient and more human and connected. But then suddenly there's this control that's just slipping away. And how do we make sure we keep that sense of control and order to our lives? So I, I, whilst at the same time, trying to deal with huge amounts of transformation, huge amounts of change, huge amounts of commercial pressures, business pressures, societal, climate, all those things that you've talked about. So I guess sitting where we are today, you've talked about some really big things. What do you think are those kinds of key challenges that we need to really address on this issue of employee engagement? Because I think it's fair to say that feels like it's slipping away from us. Yes, absolutely. And I think as long as we will say they for the employees that means as if they were an external entity or as if we were we internal comms or we hr or we you know change department whatever as long as we say they instead of we we will not be able to affect this system i think the key challenge is to build communities and you cannot build a community from outside you can only build a community if you're in the community. And um, it was a shock for me in the in one of my very first uh, experiments, the one you mentioned, uh, you alluded to, Kat, uh, which related to women empowerment or gender diversity in the workplace. It was a shock to realize that 
some HR women professional were not supporting this movement because they were HR, you know? And I was like, but aren't you a woman? Aren't you an employee? I mean, you know, and so this dissociation, this, you know, we're cutting off our professional selves from life, basically. <laughs> and organizations are living systems. As long as we keep treating them as machines, as if we were like some, you know, uh, engineer or chief mechanics from outside, you know, able to mend this or put a little bit of oil here or etc. This will not work. Instead, we need to, if we are serious about this work, about engaging people, we need to you know, step down from our expert uh, perspective and, and get in there and, you know, roll up our sleeves and build community with others, right? So this activism, uh, I'm using the word and I'm aware uh, it may sound a bit scary for for some, you know, corporate professionals. It's up to us to make it a friend uh, rather than a foe. You know, this activism thing is a huge reservoir of energy, of engagement, of passion. Why don't we, you know, tap into it? Uh, why would we cut ourselves and our organizations from this uh, energy, from this resource? It is a wonderful business resource. I'm not talking from a moral, you know, standpoint, but from a business efficiency standpoint. In addition, I know because I've seen it that this type of approach also benefits humans. But really, my, my point in the very first place is to make good business, you know, efficient businesses that uh, go faster, they're more agile, they make less errors, they serve their, their customers better. And how do they do that? By engaging people. But everybody, the whole the whole community. Um, there's one thing I mentioned in the book is that, yeah, let's not believe that a company is a community. A company is a system in which many communities can flourish. And it's great if you have many communities. If you have this a diversity of communities, it is a sign of a healthy uh, ecosystem, right? So as much as possible, organizations should nurture their social capital these networks of trusted relationships between people across hierarchical levels, across boundaries, across departmental levels and so on, sites, cultures, etc. And they can do that in many, many ways. Um, but really cultivate, so for example, cultivating uh, volunteerism, you know, uh, making a space for volunteerism as much as possible, making it, you know, something normal, you know, something that is... Uh, that employees are, are welcome to do and not just the small people huh? everybody uh, otherwise uh, if you yeah if you call your employees for to be volunteers and you never volunteer yourself for anything i mean <laughs> they, we see the the incoherence we see it very clearly it speaks louder than any word I know, Dom, I know you're on the edge of your seat but I just wanted to footnote that because there was one quote, I think it was, in your book that really stood out for me on this topic of building communities and enabling those communities to effect change. And it was the quote, I think it was a Myron Rogers quote, people own what they create. 
it just that for me struck me like a lightning bolt, not least because, as listeners will know, I've been involved with the Carbon Almanac. And so business sustainability and business action towards reducing carbon emissions is is kind of a topic that is very close to my heart. And it always one of the things I think is, gosh, we're missing a trick, aren't we, in business if we appoint a head of sustainability and allow that person or that team or that function just to take responsibility for reducing carbon emissions because most of us, I can't remember what the data is, but I think it's well up in the 80% are really worried about climate change. And I think humans are innately creative and all, and to your exact point, organisations are missing an absolute trick if they do not tap into that creativity and allow it to manifest and allow people to create solutions for organisational sustainability. Sorry, that was my two tuppence, Dom. I know you wanted to chip in. No, well, that, that leads nicely into what, what would, uh, I was going to talk about, because I'd like to look a bit more, please, Selena, at leadership because that's been a strain through all that you've said. I suspect there are a a number of people listening to this who are responsible for internal communication who will probably have to have these conversations with their leaders. And I suspect many were thinking, I'm not looking forward to that sort of conversation because it's a hard case to make. Partly because, and you said this, there are people who actually, certainly leaders, who quite like the way things are because it's how they've been brought up, it gives them power, it gives them influence, etc. We've also seen organisations that take the idea of unleading, which you've, you've very well outlined, but take it to the nth degree, to extreme degrees. And I'm working with, with an organisation where almost it's, it's frustrated their ability to grow because no one makes a decision and no one gives them direction. So a couple of questions on leadership. The first is, let's go back to how do how do we make the case for a change in leadership style? Why is that change, that upgrade, if you like, in leadership style so important in your experience? This is such a fundamental question. And I ha- I think I hadn't realized that in the very beginning of my change uh, um, career, I would say. And eventually it became the, the each time the obstacle on which my various initiatives stumbled is this notion of leadership, this our understanding of leadership is so prevalent. We all fall for this. I mean, it, there's no need, uh, you know, for um, blaming a few leaders, you know, autocrats or ego driven. We all believe in the same fallacy that leadership is an individual set of skills. It's an individual skill set that we can, you know, master, develop, and and it's it's good if if you are more, you know, leaderly, and it's bad if you're less less of it. We all fall for this. And it, it feeds a huge industry of consultants and coaches and training courses and, and so on. And uh, the reality, as far as I understand it, is that leadership is a collective capacity. It has very little to do with uh, the individual, in fact. It has a lot to do with forming bonds, forming connections, create, nurturing this uh, environment where people develop agency, develop their ability, capacity, and willingness to act uh, instead of waiting for instructions or instead of uh, 
telling others what to do. This old approach where we believe leadership is an individual skill set that uh, is linked a lot to assertiveness and to, you know, confidence and, you know, being uh, larger than life, you know, kind of thing. And uh, something that puts you or some people above others, you know, and it's it's an ideology. It's an ideology we need to let go of. And we will not let it go by focusing on governance models or on structure, because this is only perpetuating an old world, which is uh, addressed like a machine, where we address organizations and and human collectives as uh, it's a remnant of scientific management. And this is not what brings us into the 22nd century at all. On the opposite, I suggest we start looking at systems uh, as Kat, uh, what you mentioned in the beginning. Yes, it is a very systemic approach uh, where we take a first a, a look, a very honest look at how we ourselves reproduce or maintain the system or change it. Do we contribute to maintaining those patterns, those power patterns or power distribution patterns in place, or do we uh, contribute to evolving that a little bit? And this is, um, I mean, you can do that by having a conversation with your manager if you feel comfortable about it, of course, but you can make it happen in all sorts of different ways as well. You can, in your own perimeter, what you're responsible for, you can create new connections. You can invite people into co-creation. You can role model. I believe this is a more effective way than having a conversation which may be seen as, you know, judgmental or which which will trigger resistance. But instead, if you generate success through your own actions, following those principles, such as people own what they help create, this is how I believe you can... Uh, open up new possibilities, then you're not responsible for people to, you know, adopting those or not. Uh, But at least you open up possibilities. And my hope is that people, through those stories I tell in the book, and uh, through, you know, the listeners who listen to all other possibilities you open to them on a regular basis, my hope is that they try new things. You're not sure it will work, but at least you try. You try and you change those patterns. And So eventually, my approach of leadership, how I consider real leadership, I call it unleadership as a provocation a little bit, but my my hope is that uh, people will understand leadership is a collective capacity, which is linked to relational skills, relational skills, not, you know, I mean, yes, we need, you know, those, uh, you know, hard skills, uh, engineer, uh, you know, rocket scientist. Yes, of course. But I mean, The most important thing is that people work together. It doesn't happen that one person alone, you know, will save the world or a country or a company or a department. It does not happen. We all work in in interrelations. These relational skills are the critical skill of the 21st century. And eventually, as I mentioned in the book as well, this is self-effacing work. Leadership is not... um, a pedestal or, or, you know, a step that brings you on top of others or on top of the world. The real work of leadership is to make the collective so strong, so effective, so great that it can work super well without you. 
and then it is time to move on and, and pollinate other collectives. I mean, thank you. I think when you first said that leadership was not about coaching and skill development, I think you probably scared half of our audience <laughs> to death because that's how make a living. But, but I think what you've then said, actually, is that the skills they're looking for or skills leaders need are very different. And it's interesting what you say, chime with what I think has been one of the key themes coming through most of our podcasts is that the skills that leaders need are to build communities, and they do that through conversation, through listening, and through vulnerability. Yes. Being able to share the examples of their own feelings and ideas. And I would add through action, through co-action. I think it is not enough to, you know, listen. I mean, it's great to listen to each other and, uh, you know, share stories, but it is even more effective to build things together, to co-create. It's through action that we tend to uh, appreciate other people's uh, uh, ingenuity, ideas, networks, et cetera, et cetera. So instead of just, you know, looking at each other and say, what do you believe in? Who are you, et cetera? My idea is to, you know, let's build something together. And that's a great opportunity of corporates in the 21st century, in my opinion. And in terms of that, looking now at how leaders can start to adapt new behaviours to create that that new sense of community, you've mentioned the the importance of collaboration, co-collaboration, co-creation. So if I were a leader now thinking, this is the way I want to go, we we want the organisation to go, what are some of the key things they could start to do to to build that inclusive and, and productive culture that we've discussed? Mm. So that's a great question. The very first thing I would do after reading my book (laughs) would be to consider the ecosystem you're trying to engage. Who are they? And invite representatives of this ecosystem into a, you call it whatever, whatever you want, you know, but a design team or some form of team, which will design whatever is needed to engage that. So I would I would say refrain from solutioneering. Even if you have great ideas, even if you see very clearly where you, you want to bring your organization, your team, etc., I would say take a step back. Keep your mouth shut and invite instead focus on the process. Focus on the engage on engaging a small, you know, uh, node, the very first beginning, the first seeds of a community. Because you cannot build a community without a community. You need to be a community first. So how do you do that? And how do you, yeah, start co-creating seriously? Because huh? um, there's a fake uh, co-creation where basically everything is designed in a, among a, a group of experts or senior leaders or whatever. And then we invite people through, you know, surveys or focus groups or, but it's too late. It's too late. Uh, so let's, yeah, refrain from solutioneering, invite uh, people to co-create, focus on the process. Selena, I've just been trying to make so many notes of things and sound bites of things that you've been saying throughout this, which I'll reflect on in a minute. But before I try and collate some of what I think of those sort of soundbite words of wisdoms and learnings that people can take into it, what from our listeners' perspective who are in the job of internal communication, whether that's creating the communication frameworks, coaching our leaders, trying to drive conversation and connection, they're sort of man, and with that focused outcome perhaps on engagement what's the one thing should an IC professional do you think take away from this podcast 
before I answer your question, I'll just bring out a quick uh, short anecdote related to an IC professional in my former life who uh, got a bit pissed off at some point because uh, she was not aware of some information and she you know, expressed her discontent. But all this whole information was available on the internal social network. The only thing was that she, you know, claimed she had no time to, you know, join the the internal social network because it was, you know, for, it, but it was the biggest community in the organization. So I sensed through this short, you know, encounter that she was standing above or on the side of this community, and she was viewing this community as something that needed to be managed rather than a community in which she needed to be involved in order to have impact. She would have had the information, but she would also have had had made connections. And through those connections, she would have been able to advance her work, right? So my recommendation to answer your question would be get in there, go get in those communities and really refrain from approaching them as as problems or as things to be managed, but approach them as opportunities in which you can develop your personal network of relationships. And it's um, it's amazing if you are an IC professional because you'll be able to bring a lot of knowledge to those communities you're involved in. You will be able to, you know, be a super connector. In my opinion, that's the amazing opportunity that IC professionals have to be those super connectors because you, you can connect stories, you can connect people, you can help them become more apt at connecting with others because you have all those competencies. So, you know, share them, um, develop this agency among other people by helping them, by, you know, asking this question, you know, how can I help? Look at what I, I can do. What, how can I help rather than uh, just taking orders from the CEO and, and, down, and downloading stuff onto people? It doesn't work anymore. I know it's, uh, it's not easy to go against this flow, but it's an outdated flow. We need to be aware of that. The world will not be built on you know, downloading stuff onto people. The people are just not paying attention anymore. And if I may chime in, Jen, that just I have to say, because it's 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 coming up time and time again. And it's one of our core kind of talking points for 2023. What Celine is is talking about there is the art of listening. And, do you know, it just has reminded me, do you remember when we had Colin Archer on the podcast and he talked about how, you know, internal communication has this brilliant opportunity that is often not recognized where it gets to weave itself in and out of every single department and team and function and silo but actually while you have that freedom the nub of the quest has to be to to listen so to blend what is required of you to transfer information and knowledge to your teams, colleagues, employees, etc., but also to listen and to to help people 
connect, as you say, to connect back to one another. I think that listening piece, sorry, I'm probably on a ramble, but it just seems to be coming up again and again, doesn't it, Jen? Well, it does, Kat, it does. And I think it's this this tussle we're in, I guess, around. And, and I think there's something that, that Celine said a, a moment ago that is this, when you gave that anecdote of someone that, well, the information was there on a community, but they didn't have the, uh, I, you know, I know you can't see me, I'm doing my quote marks time. Because time is, seems to be our enemy or it seems to be our our excuse to not do things because we feel so overwhelmed, so time poor. So that's inhibiting us to go in and really listen. I haven't got time to listen. I haven't got time to, to be truly involved or to truly participate. I just need to be downloaded to and told what to do. So therefore you've got those, we know that that's the, where things are going, but there's this sort of challenging place that we're, we're in. But I think that as I sum up what Celine has been a great episode as well, I think for me, there's the things that I've just jotted down where it's about everybody, you know, let's start talking about the, let's start talking about we and get stuck in, roll up our sleeves, tap into friendship and passion. Gosh, that's the most wonderful place to be, isn't it? When you feel relationships and passion and energy for what you're doing and it all starts and and company is now about community let's try new things focus on relationship skills but I think the thing the one point I want to end with that that sort of links back as well to, to what Kat was saying is focus on the process I think we're always so busy trying to get somewhere to get to an outcome to get to a a metric or a piece or something that we're happy with by not seeing this as a never ending journey or a never ending process, we miss those moments. And I think that from everything that you've said, Celine would be something I would leave it on. And Kat, I can feel you're coming in with one last comment. I'm coming in because actually this ties back to something else Celine said, like one of my observations and I feel it viscerally and I, you know, let's, let's go public with this. We all feel pressurized by time and outcomes every single one of us working today feels there aren't enough hours in the day and that we've got to hit those outcomes whatever they may be but that's an impossible quest because the moment you hit one outcome another one comes along and we can only go as fast as we go. I don't think people are naturally lazy. I think if they are, it's very, very few and far between. Most people come to work to do a good job. So back to a point that Celine made earlier, let's role model pace as in, you know, this is a never ending quest. It's iterative and so on. As internal communicators, we have that opportunity, don't we, to, to open that up to the floor and say, you know, we understand that the external environment creates all of these pressures on us, whether they're real or imagined, to perform. But it's inhumane to expect that we can continuously perform at this ridiculous pace. So let's agree what our pace is. Let's agree that we're human and that these systems are human, and that we're not cogs in a great big industrial machine. And let's role model what human progress looks like together in companionship with one another. 
But, you know, I'm not advocating for slowing down or things like that because that might be perceived as uh, as, as not a great thing to do by, by people concerned with business efficiency. I'm advocating for us to stop wasting money and wasting our energy onto completely inefficient stuff. So, yes, we might check all our deadlines and uh, we, we, we might be able to do uh, uh, a huge amount of tasks, but how effective are they? Uh, and so I'm advocating for a better prioritization of things. What do we really need to do? What adds value, real value to our business? Imagine, yeah, there's a milestone. I don't know, for example, a company wants to celebrate its birthday on uh, its anniversary. Yeah, so there's a milestone, a very critical milestone, you know, approaching. Will it be more effective to have tons of uh, brochures and websites and events, et cetera, et cetera, sleek stuff, you know, very, on that given date? Or will it be more effective to have less of that and more engagement among the staff through a variety of connections and opportunities to get involved, et cetera? So the end result might be less um Good looking, you know, for the eye or maybe less um, appealing for, you know, I don't know, investors or whatever. But it will be much more effective. It will build trust uh, internally that will then be helpful to face when any business challenge is, is coming, basically. So that's my recommendation to um, I see professionals would be prioritize what's really needed, challenge what's really needed, and focus on the process. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Brilliant. Celine, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And I hope everyone listening takes that away and, and goes away and, and enjoys that process and to focus on those things. So again, thank you, Celine, and to my co-hosts. And hopefully you'll all tune in again next time. Thank you all. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have, please like it and share it with your friends and colleagues on your preferred digital channels. Every recommendation helps us spread the word to build a better, more connected and inclusive future of work. Thanks for listening.